that we, we know how to eat. We don't need nutritionists to tell us how to eat. We need nutritionists to help us sort through the misinformation out there. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. A skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Welcome to the Seasoned RD Podcast with Dr. Marcia Heron today. Registered dietitian nutritionist, developer of the Rule of Threes Plan, and author of Nutrition Counseling and the Treatment of Eating Disorders, as well as the Parent's Guide to Eating Disorders. Dr. Heron, she wants us to call her Marcia, is a registered dietitian nutritionist with a doctorate in nutrition education. For any of you who are ready to take your RD exam, I really want you to listen, especially to the first part about Dr. Heron being a college dropout, (laughs) how she got her first job, and how she figured out dietitians were considered second-class citizens on the eating disorders team many, many years ago. She was so resourceful. So listen in. Her seasoning are in the show notes, but the old school books like Fairburn's CBT, but other things are just very clear clearly pioneer in the field of eating disorder and eating disorders, but also current, staying current, mentioning the book White Fragility as an important piece of her professional development today. And if you make it all the way to the end, you will get a coupon code, which is awesome, but also a nugget that Abby said I will definitely try to use in my practice. Welcome, Dr. Marcia Heron to the Seasoned RD. You can call me Marsha, as you know. Okay. (laughs) Hello. Yes, we're so excited to talk with you with just to ease our way into these fun topics. I've got some icebreakers. So mountains or beach? I'm a Montana girl, so mountains. Mountains. Did you watch Yellowstone? Yeah. Oh, no. I refuse to watch it. Those people aren't like Montanans. I don't know anybody like that. And it's too embarrassing. I'm sorry I can't watch it. Oh, it's my favorite show, but that's all right. Oh, dear. Well, no, <laughs> I, I watch Survivor, so I'm an American Idol, so I, I, I won't shame you or if you don't shame me. Deal, deal. Breakfast or dinner? I've really been three meals, girl. I can't choose. Of course. And then audiobook or paperbook? Well, you know, the. I've moved totally to telehealth, and so I don't commute. The saddest thing is my audiobooks on while well, I was commuting because I don't make time to read pleasure for pleasure or otherwise. It took me three years to finish the last book I was reading on audiobook, which is a great book, by the way, called White Fragility. I ad- highly recommend that book. It's really, really excellent. It was important to me in my development as uh, 
a dietitian and diversity. And, and there are lots of other books we should be reading too. This is written by a white woman who does diversity training. And who's the author? Oh, you ask hard questions. Oh, I'll but look there's it up. no other book by this, yeah, White okay. Fragility. Okay. But so audio well, so I love audiobooks and I haven't quite gotten into hiking with my dogs and listening to a book because I like trees too. And I'm and the wind and the whatever else you can hear. And so so I guess I I like both. You like them both. And so I as you were talking, that was me to a T. Yeah. My commute or if I'm running errands or doing oh, laundry a or doctor's whatever. Appointment. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, then I, I like I the do. audio. Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's made a big difference to the amount of reading I was able, been able to do. Yeah. So you're a registered dietitian and I'm going to bring you back. You've been in the field a long time. We have lots of seasoning, right? Yeah. Do you remember your exam, your RD exam? I'm sure it was paper. That's what paper and number two pencil. I had to go to a really kind of backwards Montana town a mining town and stay in a cheap hotel where people were partying all night. <laughs> they drive to the exam. Oh, I remember it very well. So you showed up not yeah. well rested. Right. But I passed. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. But what do you remember of that day besides the, you had to travel because it nowadays you can do it anytime. Good, wherever. Yeah. Um, and it was only twice a year. I think that we, when we did. Yeah. It. Right. Right. Well, it was my dream to be a nutritionist, and it was the first step, and that was very exciting. I didn't exactly know what was going to happen next, but I was open-minded. So you got into nutrition, and that was your original study? Oh, no. I was oh. a college dropout. Okay. <laughs> I, had, what? I had like six different majors. Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I dropped out of college. Now, I'm a, you know, it's the era. I'm a yep. hippie girl, women's liberation. And I dropped out of college to start a natural foods co-op. Wow. Okay. Because there was no brown rice in Montana. <laughs> Hello. Needed brown rice in Montana. And there was no whole foods. So we, we raised $300 a group of people from yoga class and started in this little storefront that literally we had no running water, no bathroom. Your ship was as long as you could hold your pee. And I, and, you know, it was all volunteers, but people fell away. So there were ended up three of us running it. And it's now a multi-million dollar business called the good food store in Missoula, Montana. Still not, you know, Nonprofit. What was I thinking? I could be rich and famous, but, uh, <laughs> but you're famous now. Yeah, right. But uh, that's right. Uh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. And what was wonderful is it because some people went into social work, accounting. I I said, oh, you can get a degree in nutrition. Dang. My grandmother said, oh, you don't want to do that. It's a fad. This was the seventies. I go. Oh, well, but I want, I just loved it. And so I, and oh, you could get it at the university in town. I could get a degree. Yeah. They still have it. Which, which town in Montana? Yeah. Missoula, University of Montana. Well, actually they don't still. 
Oh, they don't. That's why I ended up at Dartmouth. My dream was to be on faculty at the University of Montana in nutrition. Got it. Okay. And I, I, I achieved that. Oh, I had to get a doctorate. That's mm. why I ended up at Columbia and teach. Got oh, it's it. a horrible, wonderful year, year or two I, doing nutrition education there. And so tenure track position, had the baby, could walk to the university. I didn't read the small print on tenure track. Do you know if um, the department gets axed for financial reasons or other reasons? If you don't have tenure, you are just gone. Oh, Marsha. And but and there was no other, I was so overqualified. There's nothing else I could do in the whole state of Montana. So I asked my husband, where should I get a job? And he wanted a big name for me, but he wanted seasons. He wanted small town. He wanted mountains. And Fortunately, he pays attention to sports because no one even knows how to say Dartmouth in Montana. He said, you should get a job at Dartmouth College. You really should. I'm driving over the Continental Divide to visit my mom. And I open up, remember the Journal of Nutrition Education? Oh, yes. Yes. I open it up. And I'm not kidding. I I look down and there's this little... You know, nutritionists wanted Dartmouth College to start an eating disorder treatment and prevention program. And I think I got the job because I figured out when the plane was canceled from Boston due to a snowstorm, how to take the bus. And I had the right boots because there was candidates from Florida calling. I should cancel now. I'm here. You're having snow. Oh, that you. Okay. So you just answered the next question, how you kind of got into the eating disorders field. Right. Right. And oh. it was so exciting because no one knew anything there. Uh, yeah, psych- there, was- there was a, they had a psychologist. We, we were a team of psychiatrists, doctor, psychologists, me. And I didn't know that dietitians were second class citizens in a group like that. I was Dr. Heron. Thank you very much. And it was a wonderful way to start with, with a a wonderful team that was respectful and there was kind of mutual supervision and Dartmouth gave me lots of resources. You wouldn't believe the books I bought because no one knew any. I found a little treatment manual in the back of Chris Fairburn's book on binge eating. It was CBT for eating disorders stuck in the back of that book. Oh my, this is how you, this is how, well, let's go to a conference in London then. And I learned about DBT and FBT and Et cetera, et cetera. It was really wonderful. And I was there for 17 years. At the same time, physicians, faculty members were asking me to treat their kids after hours. And you know what? I wanted to work with a wider, more diversity. So I joined every insurance panel, including Medicaid and Medicare. Part of my philosophy, and it all kind of averages out. Uh, Like I said, I'll never be rich, but I'm famous as you. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and uh, and so uh, about, you know, add now another 25 years or so in private practice has been really wonderful. And I really enjoy the wide range. I work, treat with all ages, all eating disorders. But you know, COVID has made me quite a specialist in adolescent anorexia. We know that it's just those kids didn't have anything to do early lockdown. And They took the nutrition education, this is my take, that they were learning in school, which is who 
the way they teach nutrition to our kids is scary. It is so judgmental. Uh, you know, don't eat sugar, don't eat fat, don't eat carbs, eat vegetables. Oh, and, well, you probably don't want to eat meat either. Or um, only meat and fat. Or only meat, yeah, yeah, depending. And it really, these kids were bored. They had that as a background. Parents were kind of impressed that they cared about the environment and wanted to get healthy. Maybe they all went on a diet together. Yeah. And, you know, I'm really quite convinced of the good evidence on anorexia being genetic and triggered by weight loss. And bingo. Yeah. We have all these kids in the age of onset going down. It was amazing flood of patients. Mm-hmm. So you're doing, I mean, you you kind of hit on so many points that I, I did. ask I you about. On a rant, you you know. did. I love it. Because, you know, you were talking about your early references and you found Chris Fairburn, the CBT portion, and there were no diet, there were no books for dietitians. No, there um, weren't. Uh, there were not. Nope. So I decided that was a leading question. I should write one, shouldn't I? Somebody's got to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Karen yeah. Katina had moving away from diets back in the day and then Reef and Reef. The- right. Reef and Reef. Yes. If you could, I, I actually have that. It's a notebook. It never quite got past the notebook stage, oh, wow. but it was very, very helpful. Yeah. But there really wasn't any comprehensive. So I I said I would never do it again, writing a book by myself. You know, do, doing counseling is kind of lonely work in a way. And writing a book is even lonelier. Oh. So I've, I, I like co-writers. Mm-hmm. And I just signed the contract for the third edition on nutrition, counseling and the treatment of eating disorders with a new co-writer. I hope I don't wear him out. It's very exciting. <laughs> Brian Leon, um, who's at Stanford, has a very similar position I d- did at Dartmouth at Stanford. And Brian and I have done a number of talks together. I think you've heard us talk. Absolutely. Um, and we've connected over uh, dietitians using FBT techniques. Yeah. Brian actually worked with Jim Locke at the Jim's clinic uh, where FBT was, the American version was really developed. I'm going to tell you that's controversial, or at least it was when you mentioned that we, you know, dietitians were second class citizens or whatever. <laughs> we and uh, were not really invited to the table with FBT. So tell me, tell us. Well, you know, we were invited, we weren't disinvited at the beginning. So I didn't know that's how it was going to go. And I I was like a Jim Locke and Daniel LaGrange groupie, to be honest. I went to all their trainings that they were offering all over the East Coast, went to one in Princeton, in Maine. I was in and I just, it made so much sense to me. And I was moving in this direction anyway, involving parents, it was just so you know, so obvious of a way to treat anorexia, especially if you've been doing it the other way for so long and it not working very well, mm, which exactly. I've been doing. And so I started doing it, bought all the manuals, wrote about it in my books, very excited, gave speeches myself about it. And then they got cold feet. And I understand why. Big concern is dietitians would be too directive about the food part of it. Mm. That, that we could not keep ourselves from telling parents how to feed their kids mm. instead of empowering parents. And we have to be careful about that. 
But the therapist doing FPT has to be careful that she doesn't give them that there's no weight gain or they, what, what, how my kid's not getting weight. What do I do? Can, you know, and we know what's happened with the FPT. The nutrition aspect of FBT is all online. I hope you end up, parents end up at a good website. There are some good websites because the therapist felt like they shouldn't talk at all about it. I think we're better at not talking about it because the parents have confidence that, that I'll bail them out and help them through. And rarely do parents, you have to, man, you want a food plan for Marsha Heron? If I'm doing FBT, you have to practically get a lawyer to come and say, I, you really should give it to these people. <laughs> yes. Um, and parents know how to, feed, you know, my food plan, as you know, is really just that. That's why I couldn't ask Abby's great uh, uh, icebreaker about which meal. It's the three meals. Mm-hmm. Well, balanced grandma, you know, if you had people for dinner, grandma would serve the, a well-balanced meal nutritionally. Isn't that just wonderful? I love it. That we we know how to eat. We don't need nutritionists to tell us how to eat. We need nutritionists to help us sort through the misinformation out there. And I'm about making nutrition. It's simple. How you don't need a PhD to understand nutrition. How did our species make it this far? What about the raccoons? They managed to eat to meet their (laughs) nutritional needs. There's the title, Abby, for this episode. What about the raccoons? <laughs> right. I love it. So, I mean, part of the fear, I think, of, of the therapists is that the dietitians are going to try to do therapy. And we, that is. Well, well, you know, FBT is, actually has that all figured out because it's staged. There are phases. Mm-hmm. Phase one, weight restoration. Phase two turn appropriate age appropriate agency over food and exercise to the child phase three psychotherapy focused on other issues and in my area and here's the other problem maybe in the perfect world those doing fbt would have gone through the institute of their training institute all the supervision etc and they would be doing fbt there's one person in my state who's gone through that training. And dietitians, by the way, are not allowed to take the training. That's, yeah. So if FBT is the best treatment for adolescents and children with eating disorders, which is clear if you look at the literature, we need more people doing it. And so my strategy is, and it works well, because there's very few, even in my state, or I practice in Massachusetts, of Vermont and New Hampshire licensed in all three states. Very few therapists that really have specialties in treating eating disorders, especially young kids with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. So I want my kids to be working with a therapist that they really connect to that can help them. As one of the therapists said, you know what my job is in phase one, Marsha, is to help them cope with you. <laughs> That's right. I need a therapist because I have a dietitian. I need to yeah, call right. my dietitian. Right. And, you know, the kid that has the eating disorder, the last thing they need really is their parents harping with them on all sorts of lectures. I tell parents, don't lecture your kid. Only give advice if they ask. And, you know, they, you need to tell them what they need to do. The dietitian's harping on, and so is the therapist. Actually, the kid needs to go and talk about the trouble she's having at school or self-esteem issues. 
so the therapist is working on supporting the child with the other issues while I'm doing the FBT part. Therapists and I are in contact with each other and they're so relieved. They don't have to deal with the eating disorder stuff. I'm managing the parents and then the therapist is ready to go with phase three where I'm saying adios. I'm Rain is back on mine. But yeah. And the parents are, you know, appropriately in charge of what goes on in their house. Food wise, it's worked really well for me. All right, let's take a break. We hope you are enjoying this conversation with Dr. Marsha Heron, brought to you by our sponsor, My Clear Step. Those of you who know me know I won't support something I don't truly believe in. I've been using them for many years, even before the pandemic. Producing a podcast is far from free, and I really appreciate My Clear Step sponsoring this episode as well as previously released episodes with Dr. Jillian Lampert, CEDRD Jessica Lauren Newby, CEDS Dr. Shelley Barr, and Dr. Rebecca Peebles. You also heard Dr. Anne Marie Omelia talk about numberless scales in her practice during our most recent medical series, and today you'll hear about the blood pressure cuff that that can send that information directly to you for your virtual practice. So real quick, if you haven't heard of my clear step, they have numberless scales, the first HIPAA compliant solution to a blind weigh-in for our clients working to recover from their eating disorder. And although we had heard of these numberless scales several years ago, they really did become a game changer during the pandemic for so many of us, myself included. There's seamless access to data for clinicians and a simple anxiety free virtual experience for clients and families. My Clear Step is offering a discount to listeners of this podcast with the code Beth Harrell. And you can get to that through myclearstep.com and information is in the show notes. Well, how do you do it virtually? How do you do telehealth? Uh, you know, I think it's better with telehealth. One of the major problems, I really believe in not interfering with the kids' school work, class attendance. You know, my adult patients don't even know I offer appointments at 3, 4, and until recently, 5 o'clock. They're never, th- those are for they're, my teenagers. And yeah, kids they're never school. available for adults. And yeah. I live in a rural area. Even with those times, how are you going to get to my office if you have to drive an hour back and forth? Oh, and how are both mom and dad going to be able to be part of the session if there are other kids or one of them is working full time with telehealth? Parents can join in from wherever. So how do you do it? There's Um, so much that you that you have to. Well, you're probably doing it like, I don't know. Well, well, yeah. You know, the big problem, actually. Because part of FBT. And it's a key part to it is, it's interesting. In standard FBT, you have a private time with the patient while you're checking, the whoever the clinician is, is checking their weight on a scale. Oh, and I had a beautiful scale that just gave people confidence that it was a number from God. Because <laughs> And the parents would wait outside while I'm checking the child's weight, outside in the waiting room, rather. and. You know, in the big clinics where Jim and Daniel practice, you know, in in manuals, you know, they're walking the child down the hall to where they get weighed and chatting with them. 
I kind of like my model better, better than it's a little more private with the kid. And, but, it, but it's important you have some time alone with the kid to make a connection. And you need to know what the kid's weight is. Or you don't know if, he, if the parents need to be feeding them or and the parents don't know that either, that this is all about weight gain. A pound a week, that's pretty aggressive. And man, the results are really stellar. So how are we going to do that? Well, I've worked with, and during COVID, there was even the danger, felt dangerous to go to the doctors to get your weight checked. And would the doctor give me the weight? Would I even know what time of day it was taken, which is important, or what the kid was wearing? So start off training parents to check weights. Many of them were uncomfortable about doing that. Kids were uncomfortable, but many were able to do it. And, you know, we had to talk about, well, the fact that you know, it's a home scale, so we're not going to compare numbers with what the scale is when your child does go to the doctor because you don't compare scales to scales. But most home scales, though some of them are, are need to be replaced, are good at measuring changes in weight, may not be the actual number. So that, that works fairly well, and the parents would tell me the weight. I mean, the child would usually already know the weight. What, what we kind of was missed with that is with standard FBT, the patient and the parents are hearing the weight from the clinician or with the clinician, so we're able to process it. And I had a patient, very young patient with young, only child, this great blue collar family doted on this child, kind of the classic COVID anorexia case. And they weren't able to go to the doctors to get weight checks. The parents and the child was way too nervous to have the parents check. The physician knew about the clear step scale and suggested the family find out about that and talk to me about it. I didn't know anything about it. So I'm Googling. I go, oh my gosh, there's this scale that could communicate with me electronically and the doctor. And the parents wouldn't have to deal with processing the weight with the kid, which these parents were not comfortable doing, and the kid was not comfortable here. So it's a scale that is basically blank. The kid stands on, there's a little beep, and they electronically goes to uh, the physician. Uh, we have to sign up. It's very, it's very much a bargain for the clinicians. Yeah. You pay one fee for $45 as many. It doesn't, it's not uh, tied to how many patients you see or for how long. So that's very nice. And this was a pretty, again, a poor, relatively poor family. But the scale costs $100, which I understand you can actually, when you're done using it, it can be sold back to the company, so to speak. And they're, you know, they're recycling the scales, which is really wonderful. And they pay about $6 a month for this the electronic service of it. Parents can also pay a little bit more, a couple dollars more, and have the weight information go directly to them. In their own portal. In their own portal. And interesting, most parents, when they're signing up, you know, they're probably nervous. They never see that aspect of it. Yeah. You know, here we have a, a crisis of anorexia. I'm learning telehealth. I've been doing it before, but now I'm really doing it. And then I have this fancy electronic scale and I, I couldn't, you know, to even manage it. So I call up their hotline. It's this wonderful dietitian <laughs> named Sharon. 
Yeah. That, oh my gosh, um, she was so helpful. And what was really interesting, she was really interested in my experience as a clinician working with eating disorders. And and I'm I'm always trying to fix things. Oh, I could run that town better than that mayor, you know, if I just given half a chance. So I'm telling Sharon some of my ideas and she acts on them. Yeah. Yeah. I've had <laughs> and good experience yeah, too. It's really quite or if I have a problem, I couldn't figure out how to do this or that, or the parents can't. She's mm-hmm. very, very responsive. It's really, it's felt like a really nice collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's this whole other population. If we're talking about the scale, that's been wonderful. You have a kid that goes off to college and you're working with them. How are they going to get their weight checked? You don't really want them to have a scale under their bed and ch- jumping in, on it all the time. Do they want to go to the health service? Maybe. But that means disclosure that the child, young adult, may not be comfortable with, may not be necessary, may not be appropriate. ClearStep has been really nice for those patients of mine, college students who I'm working with. I need to know, it's hard for a nutritionist to, I think, to work with a patient around issues of weight without knowing what weight is. And weight is... You know, it sounds so eating disordered, though, doesn't it? Focusing on weight, but it's a vital. Yeah, it is considered a vital and it tells us so much. So does heart rate. So does blood pressure. Yes. And height and weight. Those are the vitals that tell us a lot. So I wanted to tell, say something about the expense of the scale when you were talking yeah. about a, the family and, and doing this virtual work, because if... I am doing virtual work and I don't have access to a numberless scale and they have to travel and the expense is so much more that way. And then if they have to go to their doctor, who may be down the street, but then you have to pay a copay every time you go. So with eating disorders recovery, virtual work is so, that's one of the reasons that it's better. Yeah. And it is less expensive. It's still expensive because you need to have your doctor on board and your dietitian and your therapist and sometimes a psychiatrist or a family therapist or whatever. But the dietitians work in the virtual field. It's a game changer Mm -hmm. when it comes to these numberless scales that just communicate. Yeah. Uh, Because we need that information. And so I was able to capture again, being able to t- have the experience of talking with my patients about their weight of the patient and me, no matter what their eating disorder is, processing the number together and making sense of it together mm-hmm. because I have the, imp- it's kind of very much like the office. It's on my scale. Right. I have the information right here. Right. So there's also, cause we're recording this before Dr. Shelley Barr's episode comes out and she was talking, she's a medical doctor. You're the medical doctor who told you about it may not know about the blood pressure cuff that you can do also is through. She may not. And I've just learned about that myself. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Because they do orthostatic measures. Yeah. 
which like you said, talking about weight and focusing too much on one thing sounds very disordered, but there's a whole myriad of things that help us know if that person's getting better besides weight, but right, right, weight right. is a key portion of that, especially in phases one and two. Yeah. So, so being able to do vitals would be adding to that. And certainly if we have another resurgence of people staying home because of COVID, that that'll be very important. And I think it brings such peace of mind, even to hear you explain like, oh, the, the parents are uncomfortable doing this and the kids uncomfortable doing this. And then the parents who are concerned about their kid being in college, like just having yeah. something like this virtual scale is brings so much peace of mind. Yeah. It's a really nice development. So telehealth is a new development that makes treatment more accessible and maybe more comfortable and we hope more effective over the long term. And and the scale is part of that. And uh, like by other vital measurements, that's a good point, Beth. I'm I'm really I'm excited to hear about that too. Yeah, and dietitians have been doing virtual work for a long time. Yes, um, we have. People taking their smartphones into the grocery store and and the dietitian is with them. This is not going away. As a matter of fact, right before we got onto this call and this recording, Abby and I were talking about how a council meeting that I was supposed to go to next Monday and everyone's talking about why would we drive to Jefferson City uh, hundreds (laughs) of miles and take eight hours out of our day for an hour and a half or two hour meeting. Yeah, it so doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Our world is changing and, and this yeah. is here to stay. So it's good. When I first started exploring this and exploring third party payments for it, I they were paying 75% of the in this is before COVID, the in the in office rate. And it, I say, Are you expecting I'm doing my nails while I'm or filing? And what they don't get is how much more intense actually this is because I have to really work on my body mechanics because I would just, you don't want to be distracting. I'm now move around a lot more than I used to Mm. because I didn't want to, oh, I'd never wear flowers or stripes because that might make the patient dizzy. Some of this, but we're learning how to do this and it's really quite wonderful. I'm not going back to in-person. How do you do family meals or do you do family meals? Well, you know, it's been very interesting with FPT and there's been some papers written on it. It is unnecessarily anxiety provoking without benefit for many families. So I rarely, and, and this has been true for a long time, do family meals. It's just unnecessary. Okay. You know, it creates a, I did them religiously and have talked about them, but it's, you know, it's supposedly in, you know, when it's done, according to the book, it's in the second visit. You hardly know the patients. They hardly know you. Uh, the parents are supposed to get the kid to eat one more bite than they want to. The kid, it, it's a weird thing for the kid that I, I'm finding it that that part of FBT unnecessary. Okay, Um, that's a shift. Good to know. And though it would be very easy to do a a family coach meal if it was necessary with telehealth, more easy. You know, for a lot of, I had the perfect office for doing it because I had a little kitchen, but many practitioners do not, you know, would we sit on the floor and have a picnic with the 
food on the floor. It's it's a it's an artificial and I, I had some really dramatic scenes with patients that probably weren't necessary. Yeah. And so the, the family meal, I'm quite comfortable not doing it. Okay. And so but you, but it's a technique if if we were getting stuck, but it just doesn't happen anymore that we're getting okay. stuck. So you mentioned that you would have time with the the kid first or the child, the patient, and then parent, because if you're going to be... Well, that's standard FBT. There's a little bit of time. It's important that the clinician, that the child feels alignment with the clinician Mm -hmm. and off, you know, but most of the focus of the sessions early on are about helping the patient or the parents problem solve how to feed their child. So do you t- ch- say in front of the child to the parents, just bring them until they say just one more bite? Or is that something that's private with the parent? Because if the child well, hears that, they're going to, I mean, I don't know. Well, the idea with FBT is the child knows exactly what's going on. Okay. The parents are, are tasked to feed them. I, I have this little line I say with uh, to the kids when I meet them, said, you know, I know you have this eating disorder. I know you have to gain weight. You have to eat more. That's you've heard all that from your doctor. And I've been interviewing people all over the state. And I found these two perfect people. I think some of they look a little bit like you. I've hired them. They're well-trained. I back them up. They have questions. They come to me. And, you know, the joke is it's their parents. Oh, I love it. (laughs) I love it, Marsha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll sometimes say to them, you know, the kids, well, how are the staff doing? Give me some feedback. Because sometimes the kid will say things like, you know, they're not watching me put my pancake in my sock. I go, that's good to know. Are you comfortable with me sharing that? That's so funny. What a good analogy. I'm going to have to use that. Yeah, you're free to. Yeah. How, how do you feel about, I, get, I hear a lot of time parents saying like, oh, you know what I tried and they just won't do it. How uh-huh. do you feel about taking away privileges that the child? Oh, it's a given. Okay. That's what I, I think. Am listening. Yeah. I am listening for what that might be. Oh, she plays soccer. Oh, oh, she has a camp. She wants to go to. Oh, mom's. This is a. Mom's thinking of buying Elton John tickets. Mm. But the standard one has become, yes. Of the course, phone. of course, the phone. Yeah. I, I do make the point, uh, only in one case. So you have to be a little careful about this. You know, I could go, oh, these phones are so expensive, aren't they? Whose phone is it? Well, it's my phone. I have this conversation privately with parents before talking to the, the kid about this. And that's another part of my approaches I meet alone first with the parents so we can really talk things out they may not be candidates for this Mm -hmm. not everyone is it's the best evidence base that we have yeah yeah but if the parents aren't or I can do it with divorced parents but it's a challenge and if the divorced parents aren't getting away but the phone and in the standard thing the kid turns the phone over to whatever parent is in charge of that meal or snack Gets it back if they've eaten to the parent's satisfaction with reasonable politeness. Uh, And uh, it's amazing how effective that is. Yeah. Sometimes it's the car. 
or the kid getting working on their driving hours, the driving time to get their license. Sometimes it's the horse, horse lessons. Mm-hmm. Or the sport. Or the sport. And the parents have to be, this is hard for modern day parents. Really hard. You know, they worry about the safety of their kid not having a phone. Well, my kids are in their 30s and somehow we did it and they <laughs> exactly <laughs> and, and you know what the truth is your kids friends have phones it really she's not going to be by herself without yeah. a phone and it's amazingly of, of effective and you need you need in you know ideally it's incentives but it may also be consequences and they can be you know they're kind of all part of the same that the phone is a privilege. You know how expensive, well, we all know how expensive. Somehow I'm still paying for my daughter. She's 30 years old. These are expensive. Because <laughs> you're on the family plan happens. and it's yeah, cheaper. Exactly. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'll do something about that. But that's very helpful. The kids need something like that because you know what happens? You know, the typical anorexic kid is the perfect kid. They are the perfect student. You know, I, I, I used to say, well, what do you do to get her to do her homework or make her bet? They've never, this is the first time this kid has ever crossed them about anything. And the parents are really don't know what to do. So it's some basic parenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those type A kids. Yeah. And parents often, modern parents are really intimidated by their own kids. I think there's so much focus on my kid is brilliant. My kid is, every, you know, and the parent feels like they're not as smart as their kid. And, you know, it's, you know, it's so sad to think of a child actually starving in front of their parents. And first, the parents don't notice. And then they're afraid to say anything because she might be unhappy about it. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And parents then bring support. Divorce, right. And then bring yeah. divorce into play. And that makes it tricky. Yeah, well, and here's my take on that is. We're going to have two different plans and it's not mom's job, although she usually wants to, to problem solve and critique what is happening at dad's house. I have just yesterday, a a mom say, you know, every time she goes, spends two days at dad's house, she loses weight. I said, well, weight actually isn't that kind of measure that it's over a longer period of time. I'm going to talk to dad about he's going to make an ad and you're going to make an ad. Do your part and can take care of it. But that uh, separate plans in separate houses. And because, oh, man, it is a fight waiting to happen. Absolutely. Marcia, you have such great nuggets of knowledge. I'm very excited for the third edition to come yeah, out. Yeah, I love in, uh, including those because you need little lines. And you get some good ones and you reuse them, then they even get better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we do have a little a little wrap-up question for yeah. you. Okay. If you were to take yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? Well, we didn't know anything, so everything. <laughs> <laughs> we actually knew nothing. That's why you wrote the book. Um, it's why I wrote the book. We we knew nothing. And, you know, it was exciting to be in on the field so early. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like to tell people, you know, I actually know the person that discovered bulimia. I actually know Chris Fairburn, and he autographed one of my books and quotes me in one of his books. Did you know that? No. Do you know what the quote is? I love no. this quote. Yeah. It's in his a book for the public. Marsha Heron of Dartmouth probably says Dartmouth University, Dartmouth College says, you don't have to eat perfectly to be perfectly healthy. Now there's a nugget. I love it. So true. Just step back from the minutia of all these rules. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Marsha. And well, I need to listen to your next podcast more about clear step and yeah. 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 I'm really excited about that. It, I yep. mean, I keep using that phrase, but it really is. I mean, when I, yeah, I'm I actually, so happy and a little embarrassed. I hadn't learned about it myself, but you're part of spreading the word about it. It's it, it really is a game changer and I'm really thankful that it exists. Yeah. And I'm going to tie this one back to the one with Jessica Lauren Newby, because you know, before we hit record here, we had talked about some of the best practices, uh, like things that you learned about fluid loading and that I've learned about people moving the scale from one place to another that ended up with some really off numbers. And so thank you so much. You guys are doing good work. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I want to share a listener review, Carly, who is a registered dietitian working with chronic illness, says that she got an eating disorder job about four months ago, and your podcast has been a great resource. So if you also would take a moment, just hit pause and rate, review, and share, that means so much to me. In this podcast, we bring in medical, nutrition, and therapy professionals who share their passions to pique your interest in available modalities in the field of eating disorders. This show is intended to inform and educate. It is not a substitute for the professional training and supervision required to specialize in the treatment of eating disorders, nor is it a substitute for medical, nutritional, or psychological advice from a professional or specialist. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com professionals.